we intentionally sing songs that are rich in God's Word. So you're studying and reading God's Word, and we're singing God's Word, and applying God's Word. And we also intentionally sing songs that are sometimes old. There are many churches that only want the new stuff, and we realize that many songs written by Fanny Crosby, one of them, uh, Near the Cross, very theologically rich, so much so that we have to look up words like bright and morning star to see, this is, and it's biblical, and, and uh, we are, our service was enriched by singing those songs, and I said that before the children were dismissed so that they would hear, hear that. All right, those who are four to six, you are welcome to go to junior church at this time. We had many of you signed up to help at Old Home Day, and you watched yesterday as the thunderstorms that were expected on Friday never came. And I got some stuff done around my house, but I thought, ah, we could have went to Old Home Day. All right. Well, God knew, and we had to decide on Friday because of how uh, many people are involved in church with Old Home Day. We had to make a decision on Friday. Well, all of you that signed up to be ambassador, or those of you that wanted to, you can be an ambassador at the car show. And let me tell you, the car show is better than Old Home Day. You know why? Because people are coming to our property. They're waiting two to three hours. We'll try to have a two to three minute conversation about the gospel at our, at our booth at Old Home Day when the people don't really want to talk to you and their kids just want to do the craft. And they're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I just got my lemonade. Yeah. But at the car show, much, much different. And you have a captive audience, so to speak, and many come, pull out a lawn chair, and want you to talk to them for hours. And you don't have to get to the gospel in two to three minutes. You can talk to them for a half an hour or an hour at times. And uh, a wonderful time of conversation. So let me encourage you. And you say, I don't know how to share the gospel. Can you be a friend? There are many people that come to the car show, and this is their life. They go from car show to car show, and their only friends, their close friends, are car people. And so we want them to include us in their close friends. And there have been a few from our car show that uh, we have gotten to uh, know. Uh, and some will say to me as I see them in town, hey, when's your show? I've gotten calls uh, before the last one, before this one. Hey, are you still having the car show? What time is it? Okay, I'm going to be there. Others have said, this is my favorite show of the year. You have grass, you don't have loud music, you have free food, and your people are always so friendly. All right, so if you can be friendly, come to the car show. If you can't be friendly, change this week and then come to the car show. <laughs> All right, Genesis 15. That's my pre-sermon sermon and very little to do with Romans 4. Genesis 15, we read it because I wanted you to see context. Let me encourage you this week, if you're going to appreciate Romans 4 and 5, how many times, and Romans 4 is all about Abraham. Let me encourage you to go back to Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 
All of that is before Isaac is born. Isaac is born in 21, I believe. There's a lot happens in Abraham's life. And I mentioned to you before that a lot happened to Abraham before Genesis 15, 6, which is quoted many times in the New Testament as his moment of salvation. And which is why we read it to get a little bit of context. But you will appreciate the New Testament if you know the Old. So here at church, we do study uh, the New Testament this year, but next year we're looking to study the Old. And let me encourage you to read the Old Testament as well. Uh, Study it. You will appreciate uh, the, um, you'll see God's Word kind of like in 3D, where uh, the New Testament may just give you a 2D uh, picture and adding another dimension and appreciating what we have in the New is going to be uh, helpful for you. So you saw in Genesis 15 that after these things, in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Now, Abram doesn't have any scripture. If you told Abraham, what's your Bible look like? He'd say, what's a Bible? Moses writes the first five books of the Bible, and Moses lives 600 years after Abram. Okay, so how did people like Abram and Job get truth from God. The word of the Lord came to them over and over and over and over and over again. And so as God's word is coming to Abram, he is responding in a way, as you read through Genesis 12 to 22, you will see him responding in faith. And when we get Romans 4, we're going to see uh, his faith. It's his faith. It's belief. You'll see almost belief or faith in every verse in Romans 4. And this is why we say Romans 4, our salvation is by faith alone. By faith alone. By faith alone. And we sang in Christ alone. What's your faith in? It's in Christ alone. And Christ alone gives us grace alone when we express faith alone. All these are, make Christianity very simple but different than every other religion. And so we say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It's a secure relationship with Christ alone. So Genesis 15, Abram realized as God spoke to him and spoke to him, and two times in Genesis, God tells Abram, this one will not be your heir, verse 4. He says it again in chapter, I don't remember the chapter, 17, 18, or 19, or 20. It's up up there after this, okay, as Abram wanted Ishmael to be his heir. So what does Abraham have in verse 4 here? Look at Genesis 15, 4 with me. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And as Sarah, Abram's wife, is in her later ability to have children years, and likely God waits, intentionally God waits, till after she can have children, so that it's impossible for her to have children. There are two people in the Bible that was impossible for them to have children, Sarah and Mary impossible. And Mary and Sarah 
both had children. One was more natural and one was definitely supernatural. And Abram and Sarah, after Ishmael isn't the one, and Sarah's past the ability to have children, Abram and Sarah have relations expecting the impossible. And we're going to see what they were thinking in Romans 4. Okay, so we have a little bit. I'll encourage you to read Genesis. We're not going to take more time to, go, to stay in Genesis. Let's go to Romans 4 now, and we'll stay here uh, the rest of our time together. Saving faith. What does saving faith look like? Well, we all struggle to show and articulate our love for God and others. We should desire to grow in our love for God and others because this is the greatest two commands in the Old Testament that are reiterated by our Savior and by someone trying to trick our Savior, a lawyer, in the New Testament in Matthew 22. The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, to love your neighbor as yourself. And we cannot thank God and glorify Him enough, though, for sending His only Son to take our place. Songwriter says, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my Savior's praise. I think that's Thomas or um, Charles Wesley writing that. And he's writing hymns and like, I, I don't have enough language. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough words. I wish I had a thousand voices that I could write and encourage other people to join me in singing my Savior's praise. Abram, Abraham, his faith is magnified for us in the New Testament. The moment of his saving faith is clearly Genesis 15, 6. And we have to see, as Paul is going to use Abram, Abraham, and his faith as an example of we are saved the same way Abraham. And how was Abraham saved? By faith. Faith alone. We may struggle to articulate what saving faith or faith alone in Christ alone looks like. Well, this wonderful passage is going to help us to articulate what does saving faith look like. I had notes for 18 and 19 last week, didn't get to it. And so we're adding 18 and 19 to 20 to 22. So we're going to look today at 18 to 22 of Romans, Romans 4. Uh, to get some context, verse 13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null, the promise is void. For the faith... For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inheritor of the law, Jewish uh, audience here, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, that's all the Gentiles too, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed. And Abraham, his faith, was in the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not 
exist. There is one God on earth. There is one God of the universe. And you must have faith in Him and Him alone. There are not multiple gods. There, if you reject the one true God, you're going to be left like all of the rest of humanity who have come up with other gods to worship. And now, in our culture, it is worship yourself, of which our cell phones are greatly used to enhance that worship, and our tablets, and our computers, and our fast Wi-Fi. We want to be God. We want to be worshipped. We want to be exalted. We want to be the center of the universe. And we gather as God's people, and we gather around His Word, and we sing His praises, and we speak of Jesus Christ, and we think of the cross, and what we sung about as we being near the cross and needing help. And then the bright and morning star shining His light to us. Oh, that's what we needed because we are dead in trespasses and sins. We're living in darkness. And we're following Satan as children of disobedience. This is all of us. And as we talk to people and they think, I am not a disobeying person, really? Have you considered the law? Because when we bring in the law, what does the law prove? We're all transgressors. We're all guilty. Every mouth is closed. Everyone is guilty before God. And guilty people find their way to the cross. And guilty people confess their sin and find that God is faithful and just to forgive them. And He is the one who cleanses them from all unrighteousness. Abraham found that to be true too. Although the cross was in his future, he had to trust in God alone. He had no righteousness. He had some obedience but how did Abraham get God's righteousness? It was by faith alone. Same way we get God's righteousness. And as God gives us his righteousness, he turns up the microscope here on saving faith. What does saving faith look like? Well, it's faith in the God in whom he believed. There's the idea of faith there in verse 17. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We're going to see the word dead again. And so keep that in mind as we go into verse 18. All right, verse 18. In, who, in hope, he believed against hope. That's the same word in the Greek. It, does, it sounds like it's contradictory. In hope, Abraham believed against hope. You're like, what? You can read it a couple times. You're like, what? <laughs> and a couple more times. And hopefully you look at the context. What is, what is God trying to say here to us? Well, let's keep reading in verse 18. That he should become the father of many nations as he has been told, had been told, so shall your offspring be. Abraham is hoping he believed against hope. As Abraham and Sarah 
have relations as a married couple, and they're middle-aged. Today, we would say they're probably in their late 30s, early 40s. And if they went to a doctor, they would say, well, the longer you don't have children, your chances aren't getting better. They're getting worse and worse and worse. And then Abraham or Sarah goes through the time of her life where it's impossible now for her to have children. And now if she went to the doctor and said, my husband says that I'm going to be a mother by him, the doctor's going to say, <laughs> yeah, right. That doesn't happen, Sarah. She says, I know it doesn't happen. I feel like a crazy lady telling my friends <laughs> what God has told us. And yet, when Abraham and Sarah get together, they're expecting God to fulfill his promise. It's impossible. Everyone, no one on the face of the earth has or, ha or will have after them have a baby after this time. She's the only one. She's been given the label barren. And yet, they have a promise. And they, if all the world laughs at them, and they even laugh, as you see, Abraham laughs and Sarah laughs, and then God says, okay, we're calling this boy laughter, Isaac. <laughs> so that every time you mention his name, you're going to go back to this day where you both laughed. Why would they laugh? It's natural to laugh. Why? Just because it would be funny if you ladies were past the time and you wanted to have a child and you're 65, 70 years old and you go to your doctor and say, Doc, I think I'm pregnant. The doctor would laugh, right? Same thing. Sarah is not going to be a mother until she is 90. And we only know two ladies how old they were when they passed away. And I think to give us some idea of how old, how, what stage of life Sarah's in, she lives to 127. Jairus' daughter, age 12, is the only other lady we know how old they are when they pass in, the, in Scripture. So she's 127. So if that's like, let's say 90 today, 127, then move it back 30 years or so. So she's roughly 60 to 70 years old in our time, okay? And ladies today that are 60 and 70 don't have children. So it's impossible for her to have children, and yet Abram and Sarah are expecting, and they're expecting God to fulfill His promise, and they're still having relations expecting God to fulfill His promise. And day in, week in, month, years go by, and it's still not happening. And Abram has hope. Hope in what? It's not in nature. There's no hope in nature. He's believing against the hope of nature. This Whatever's going to happen with him, he and Sarah has got to be against all hope. Everyone thinks they're nuts. They're crazy. People who are that age don't have children naturally. So he, Hagar comes on the scene, and, and she has a son through Abram, Abraham, and yet God says later, nope, Ishmael is not your heir. 
he is not going to get the promises. He's going to be the father of, of a big nation, but he is not going to get the promise. The Messiah, the seed of Abraham, is not coming from him. It's coming through Sarah's womb. So Abram is hoping against hope. So what do we do with this today? And he refers to in verse 18, so shall your offspring be. That was Genesis 15, 5. When is Abraham saved? Genesis 15, 6. The verse before Abraham's salvation is quoted here, and that's why we read it, because Romans 4 tells us what saving faith looks like. It's a hope in God's promise. Now, we're not talking naturally. We're not talking human offspring now. We're talking about eternal life. How can someone get saved today? What does saving faith look like? Well, the verse before Abram's salvation is quoted in verse 18. Let's look at it again, just the quote. So shall your offspring be. He's going to be the father of many nations. Your offspring is coming, and then that offspring is going to have, you're going to be the father of many nations through, eventually God's going to narrow that down through Sarah. And Abram is hoping, believing against hope that he would actually be the father of many nations through Sarah, as he had been told. And God has to tell him in this process of communication, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. So we hope in God's promise. You and I may have people that we have witnessed to for years and years and years. And we tell them it's faith alone. And you and I may get discouraged, as Abraham and Sarah likely were discouraged many, many times. It's not this time. It's not this time. It's not this time. But Abraham, we'll see what he's thinking in this process, but he is hoping against hope because he knows who is the one who has promised me this son through Sarah. He is the one who brings life, who gives life to the dead and can call into existence the things that do not exist. And God alone can give someone saving faith. And they can trust in Christ alone. And we have to hope in God's promise. What is the promise? Up here on the screen is probably the most well-known verse in our Bible. There's a reason why in the end zone of many football games that someone usually holds a sign up with John 3.16 on it. If you were to summarize salvation in one verse, this would be it. This verse promises something. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. God who can bring to life things that are dead and bring into existence things that do not exist. Sends his Son, and his Son is the one who gives life to the dead and can bring into existence things that do not exist. Do you need miracles to prove that? We have them in Scripture. Jesus is God. And God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whoever 
believes in him, in Christ alone, will have eternal life. Do you see the promise there? Anyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. I have heard someone who was curious about salvation, wanted to know how they could be born again, how they could have life from God. And this person who was talking to them took them to John 3.16 over and over and over and over and over again. Hours. Reading, explaining, rereading, re-explaining, rereading, explaining until you know what happened? The person stops reading and says, I'm a child of God now. You know what just happened? God's word was used by God's servant, and God's word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And God's word, like John 3.16, can convince someone they're lost, can convince someone that God so loved them that he sent his only begotten son for them, that if they will trust in Christ alone, that they can have eternal life. And that person's faith is not in what someone said, not in an explanation. It's in the very Word of God. This is why at Grace Bible Church and many other Bible-believing churches that we call each other Bible-believing churches because we believe in the power of the Word of God to change people. So we intentionally study it. We intentionally sing it. We intentionally look at it, hear it preached, and we expect each other to obey it. There's a promise here, but there's also a negative promise here. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. It's, it's more subtle. If you don't believe in the Son of God, what's going to happen? You will perish. And everyone from Romans 1, 2, and 3, up to verse 22 of Romans 3, everyone that's following that logical friend is coming to this conclusion. I deserve to perish. I deserve hell. I earned it. I've rejected God. I've tried to establish my own righteousness. I am guilty before God. The word of God is very clear to them. And so, as they come near the cross, we say, like those who were bitten by the snake and they had one chance of survival in John 3, 15, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever looks at Christ on the cross, trusting in Him alone, will not perish, but have eternal life. Hope in God's promise. Saving faith looks like hope against hope, but believing in God's promise. That's verse 18. Now verse 19. He did not weaken in faith. As you, and this is why I encourage you to read Genesis 12 to 22, especially because the first thing God asked Abram to do is not to sacrifice Isaac. His faith's not strong enough to endure that. That's near the end of his tests. This is the final exam of Abram's faith. 
What he's asked him to do is leave his homeland first. Hey, trust me. Hey, when you go into battle in Genesis 14, um, God is with Abram. Hey, you're going to be the father of many nations, Abram. It's not going to be a slave from your house that's going to be your heir. It's going to be someone that you're going to father. And then he says later, after his salvation, it's not Hagar's son. It's through Sarah. And Abram laughs. Sarah laughs. God says, why did you laugh? And they say, oh, 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 we didn't laugh. God knows they laughed. They didn't hide from God. But they had to hope. Years. There's at least 13 or 14 years between Ishmael's birth and Isaac's birth. 14 years longer has passed. And it's definite that Sarah is not of childbearing age any longer. And yet, God wants Isaac to be the promised son. Miraculous. And he's a type of Christ. Verse 19. Abram does not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. And I've wondered about this. It doesn't say his body is dead because Abram remarries after Sarah dies and he has other uh, sons. So he is able uh, physically to have offspring, although for him likely it gets harder as well. But he is nearly 100 years old. Verse 19 continues, or when he considered the barrenness, and that word, if you have a footnote or another translation, it may say deadness. That's a better translation. It's the same word as dead previously. It's also the same word as dead back in verse 17. Now let's go back to verse 17. Why 17? Because this is the climax of this passage. Who is your focus? Who is your faith in, Abram? Is it in you? Figuring this out. Nope. Is it in you and Hagar? Nope. You and Sarah? Well, Sarah's past childbearing years. And the Bible says, the deadness of Sarah's womb, using the same word as verse 17. But God specializes in giving life to the dead. God led Abram to this fact. Only God can make someone whose womb is dead produce a child. And it's not a virgin birth. Abram and Sarah have to get together in hope that God is going to make her womb come alive. Remarkable faith. But this is what saving faith looks like. And this is in this section of Romans 4 and 5 talking about our salvation, how we are justified with God, how we are right with God. How do we get God's righteousness? Well, we have to have hope in God's promise. Verse 19, we have to focus on God's promise because if you were to talk to Abram and Sarah and, and listen to the advice and the, uh, what's the word on the street about Abram and Sarah still trying to have children, they would say those people are crazy. And as Abraham looks at his body and says, well, maybe it's me. It's definitely not Sarah. She can't have kids anymore. But what is Abram focusing on? He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body or he considered Sarah is impossible to, for her to have 
a son. He didn't weaken in faith. You know, as we get weak in faith, you know what we focus on? The wrong things. What is Abram focusing on? It's verse 17. God is the one who can bring life to the dead. God is the one who can call into existence things that do not exist. And Abram, as he is trying to have children through Sarah, and it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening, he doesn't weaken in his faith. We're not told that in Genesis, but we're told that here in Romans. How, who knows that? God knows that. God tells Paul to write this. This is what Abraham was thinking. His faith is actually getting stronger. Why? Because he's not focused on the natural. He's focused on God. He's focused on God's promise. And as we talk to people that we feel like they're impossible cases, we need to not weaken in our faith. We don't save anyone. We don't convince anyone they're lost. That's God's word. That's the Holy Spirit's job. All we do is speak. That's it. That's all we do is speak. We point them. If you can't speak, hey, why don't you read John 3.16? Read Rome, uh, Ephesians 2.8.9. Read the verses that we'll see in the Romans road. There's tracks back here that you can take and point people. Read this. If you have any questions, let me know. It can be that simple. And we keep focusing on God's promise. You know what's going to happen to you and I whenever we focus on God's promise? What's going to happen to your faith? It's not going to weaken. Because that's what happened to Abraham. His faith didn't weaken. Verse 20. No unbelief made him waver. This is another way of saying his faith didn't grow weaker. No unbelief made him waver. No amount of conversations with the doctors, with the midwives, with his, with his uh, friends. No conversations with Sarah. Say, God promised us this, Sarah. And Sarah's like, it's impossible, Abraham. You can hear the conversation in the tent over and over again. And Abraham says, okay, let's think about who God is again. What did God promise? Who is the one who promised us a son, Sarah? He is the one who can give life to the dead. He is the one who can bring into existence things that don't exist. Every time we feel like we're done trying, we're done. I'm done, Abram. Abram says, Abraham says to his wife, okay, let's remember who God is who made this promise. Every time you and I are done evangelizing, done thinking, that person's going to get saved. That person's impossible. Focus on God's promise. Verse 20 says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong. So verse 19 and 20 start with no unbelief and no nothing made his faith weaken. And now we have the, the opposite of that. He grew strong in his faith. How did he grow strong in his faith? He gave glory to God. What? Instead of focusing on the natural ability, the inability of his own body, Sarah's body, nope. He's focusing on God. And he's expecting when God answers this prayer, God's going to get all the glory for Sarah having a baby at age 90. He's expecting that. 
No one else is expecting that. Everyone else is saying, it's impossible, it's impossible, it's impossible. You guys are crazy. He says, okay, you don't know God like I know God. Sarah is getting to know God as Abraham's faith is strengthened. And so, verse 20, give God glory for his promise. As people, we would say miraculously in every new birth of someone coming out of darkness into God's life, everyone who is born again, everyone who is made alive because they're dead and trespassing, everyone who God makes alive is a miracle. And every miracle that we get to see as a church and we enjoy a baptism because a miracle, it, it's a public testimony. Here's a miracle. Here's someone else who is a miracle. And we baptize them because they want to follow Christ. A once a sinner, now a saint. Once guilty, now forgiven. And we, in growing our faith, expect God to work. And when he does work, we expect to give him glory. So Abraham is not weakened in his faith. As his faith grows strong, he says, when God, and if you were to talk to Abraham, he probably would talk like this. When God allows Sarah to have a son, we're going to give him glory. This is how people whose faith is stronger, this is how they talk about God. Expecting God to work, but it's not natural. It doesn't matter. Who are we talking about here? We're not talking about um, any processes where we can increase our chances of getting pregnant. No. We're talking about the one, the only one who can give life to the dead and bring into existence what doesn't exist. You notice how much I'm going back to this? Because I want verse 17 to stick in our minds. Give God glory for his promise. But the promise isn't realized. We're still going to give God glory for his promise. Because when he answers it, he's going to get glory. Who gets glory for Abraham and Sarah having a child? Who gets glory for Isaac living and growing up? It's all God. Is Isaac glorifying God with Esau and Jacob? Yes. He actually has 20 years where Rebecca can't have children. And then she has twins. Another, God is in control. God gets glory in their whole family. And God gets the most glory from John 3.16. God so loves the world that he gives his promised son to be the heir of Abraham who showed us what faith looked like. And then God brings his promised son, the heir of all who believe, and he makes us his heirs. What glorious truth. Saving faith gives God glory for his promise. Verse 21, Abram's faith is fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Fully convinced. You ever talk to someone who's fully convinced about something? It could be a conspiracy theory that you're like, where did you get this? Stop watching YouTube. Stop listening to this podcast. There's all these conspiracy people together, and every time you listen, you're fully convinced or nearly fully convinced that these wacky things are going to happen. The world's going to end. Stop using aerosol. Stop driving your car. Stop using a gas stove. Come worship Mother Earth with us. No, 
We're not worshiping Mother Earth with you. God's in complete control of the universe. And when he decides it's time, this place is going up in smoke. And it's not going to be any person. It's not going to be all these wacky uh, world leaders that have nuclear weapons at their disposal. That's not how the world ends. We know how the world ends. Why? Because we have God's word. As you read God's word, you know what's going to happen? Your faith's going to get strengthened. As your faith's going to get strengthened, you know, you, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be fully convinced that whatever God says in his word is how it's going to happen. Why? Because God is the one who gives life to the dead and brings into existence things that don't exist. So Abraham's faith is fully convinced that God is able to keep his promise. Now, right here, look back and think about your own salvation experience. Especially if you were saved as an adult. This likely is what your faith looked like. You hoped in God's promise. You realized you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were lost. You focused on God's promise. It could be John 3.16. It could be Romans 6.23. A number of other salvation verses. And you started to focus and just meditate on those and think about those. And you're like, very few people hear the gospel for the first time and trust Christ. They have to think about it and think about it. And they want to be fully convinced that God is able to keep his promise. Thinking, if I put all of my eggs in this basket, if I trust in Christ alone and he is not who he says he is, I'm going to look like a fool. Did Abraham and Sarah look like fools? Maybe, until Isaac's born, then who looks like fools? Everyone who doubted God. Is that true? Yeah. You and I became fully convinced that God was able to keep his promise. And this is when Abram trusts God. And this is when God gives Abram his righteousness that we read about in Genesis 15, verse 6. And Paul's telling us this is what saving faith looks like. And now, verse 22. Summary. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. Pretty simple, pretty short verse, as verse 21 was short and simple as well. Saving faith is simple. Fully convinced that God can save. Fully convinced that whatever he promises, he is able to do. We are fully convinced that if God promises us to be 100% forgiven, if he promises us to be placed in his family, if he promises to indwell us with his powerful spirit, if he promises us a home in his perfect heaven for all eternity, we are convinced by God's word that that is true. And this is what saving faith looks like. God gives us his righteousness when we have faith in Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 26 of Romans 3. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, God, the Father, might be just and the justifier, the one who makes someone righteous, of the one who has faith in Jesus. God makes us right with him. God gives us his righteousness when we trust in Christ.
Christ alone. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then your saving faith looks like hope. Focus on his power and not on your failures, giving God glory and fully convinced in God's promise of salvation. In conclusion, Hebrews 11, 11 tells us about Sarah's faith. And by faith, even Sarah, who is past childbearing age, was enabled, empowered to, have, to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. If you just read Genesis, you'd think she's an unbelieving woman who just laughs. But Hebrews 11 tells us about her, and it, it makes her look pretty good, doesn't it? Because she is. She is considered, because she considered, what was her faith in? She considered him faithful who had made the promise. It sounds like her husband. She was a willing participant in this. She wasn't a victim. She wasn't just going along because I just got to submit to my husband. No, personally, she considered God faithful who made the promise as well. It was to her as well fascinating. You can look it up in Hebrews 11 in context. If you don't know Jesus, you're watching today or you're here today, I don't know who you are, but you know if you have saving faith or not, because we just saw what saving faith looks like. If you do not have saving faith in Jesus, and I don't care if you're a church member, that you fooled us and got in here as a member, and you're, you, ha- you haven't been born again. Your saving faith, your, your faith doesn't look like this. You're here today, you're a child, teenager, an adult. You're not. You haven't exercised saving faith in Christ alone. You don't have God's righteousness. And if you don't have God's righteousness, you're not in His family. If you don't know Jesus as your master, that's Lord. You're His slave and Savior from your sin. You need to know His promise of a relationship with you and eternal life. Don't take my word for it. Go back to God's word. Go to John three sixteen. Look at Romans three up or um, three or any verses here in Romans four. You be fully convinced in God's word. And then, if you do know Jesus, then grow in your God glorifying obedience to His word. We saw this in Philippians to live out our salvation with fear and trembling. You know what that means? Because you're a Christian, you should be obedient. And your saving faith helps you to grow because you are fully convinced that God is able to save you. But you're also fully convinced that if you are disobedient as a Christian, He will judge you. Why? Because God always keeps His word. You know that because you're saved from your sin. Well, then we can't, as Christians, keep living like the world. We have to live obedient lives. God's character convinced you. Now let His character conform you into the image of your Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to You because we were once sinners lost in our sin. The only reason we can come to you is because of Christ, and through him we come to you now as children. I pray for the many 
who are watching or here today that don't know you yet as Savior, as Father, as Forgiver, Redeemer, Justifier, Friend. I pray that today they would be fully convinced that what you promise in your word, you will do. I pray that they would stop trusting in their own understanding. Stop trusting in their ability to escape judgment. Stop trusting in their ability to obey the law. Stop trusting in their ability to earn their salvation by their good works. Help them to turn their backs on themselves and trust completely in what Jesus accomplished for them on the cross when he cried out, paid in full. Help us to be convinced as believers that this is the only way of salvation and empower us with your spirit to live obedient lives this week and lives that you can use as lights in a dark place. New England is getting darker and darker. People are becoming more and more ignorant of you and your promises. And help us to be fully convinced of your word and share that wonderful word with those around us for your glory and we'll expect to give you glory as you save many more. And through Christ we come to you. Amen.